following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. All right, it's good to see all of you today. Um, I had somebody just tell me, and I already forgot. How many days, how many, we got a countdown, how many days till Christmas? Where are we at? Oh, come on. Nine? Nine? Thank you, Tim. Appreciate that. Tim is full of the Christmas spirit this morning. Thank you, Tim. Um, Christmas is upon us. If you have not begun your shopping yet, get with it. All right? Um, But as we will continue to take a look at, uh, Christmas is so much more than even the good things that that we sometimes traditionally celebrate with our families. Um, We're we're talking about adoring Christ. And, And we've been looking, last week we began looking at those who came to adore Jesus, all right? And this week we're going to do that again, and then next week we'll do it again. But as we look to the adorers of today that we will focus on, there's something that I just have to bring up. I've always, I've always considered myself a country boy, all right? I, I, I have. I, I, love, I love the country. I get, I, get inside, I get inside the city limits of any place over, to be honest with you, over about 50,000, and I was just like... You know, and a lot of people call that a small town. To me, that's not a small town. That's like a city, all right? And so I've always considered myself somewhat of a country boy, but I do understand this. There's country, and then there's something else, all right? Uh, I'm not going to mention any names because I've learned the hard way over years of preaching that this is a small world, and I have to be very careful about bringing up any names because people very quickly connect the dots. But I will tell you this, I have a brother-in-law who enjoys hunting. As a matter of fact, I have lots of brothers-in-law on both sides of the family that enjoy hunting. And I have one particular brother, I'm going to try so hard not to say his name. One particular brother-in-law who hunts one particular place, all right? And um, it's, it's, just, it's not a real big place, about 20 acres or so, and there's a mobile home on this place that the lady who owns this 20 acres lives on. All right? And don't be connecting the dots in your mind. You do not know who and what I'm talking about. All right. So he goes in there for the first time to try to get permission to hunt here. And the mobile home's a little, a little run down. Okay? Um, he didn't really notice a car, so he wasn't sure if anybody would be there. But sure enough, he knocked on the door, and this sweet lady came and answered the door and said, why don't you come in? I don't know how many visitors that she would get. And so he's sitting there. He's a charmer, he's, he's pretty good small talk, and he's talking, but as he's talking, he cannot help but notice, he's looking past her, that under the, the kitchen table, there's a hole in the floor. And it wasn't just, it wasn't like a nice little hole cut out with, a, I mean, it looks like somebody took a sledgehammer to make this hole. And then, a little ways into the conversation, he hears this commotion underneath the mobile home, and the next thing you know, seven or eight cats boil up out of that hole, into the house, and she noticed him looking, and and she just said, oh yeah, those are my cats, I've got, I don't know, 35, 40 of them, and David just looking, and she could almost read his mind, and what she says is, cats are so much better than mice and pack rats, don't you know, and their whole conversation, there's cats coming and going, and the whole time, he's just cracking up on the inside, just laughing. Because, folks, we've got to understand that there is country, and then there's country, okay? 
Uh, I spent some time in eastern Tennessee many, many years ago, uh, long enough there, not there for a long time, a month and a half, long enough to see what Appalachia looks like, okay? And there's country, and then there's country. It's, it's like backwoods country, okay? And I don't mean that in any negative way whatsoever, and do not try to figure out which brother-in-law I'm talking about. I am not going to tell you. I said his name. I told you I wasn't going to do that. I told you the wrong name, knowing that I was going to do that just to throw you off. I'm not going to say his name in the second service. I'm going to tell you that right now. Adore him. Last week, we took a look at a group who came to adore Jesus. And last week, we took at a group of adorers that could be called the height of power and presentation. Otherworldly, both figuratively and literally. The angels. They came to worship. The adorers that we will focus on today are about as backwoods, as backwoods, as you can get. And I know where you where we're you already know where we're going with this. It is it's the shepherds. Ray Vanderland, um, he talks about in his ministry that the world may know, he talks about the shepherds and he he opened my mind just a little bit more to what, what the shepherds of Jesus' time, even to this day, would, would look like. We think of them as as being young men, or just even men, we might even think young, but he said, to this day, the shepherds in that part of the country are, are usually very young. Um, they're boys or girls, um, usually teenagers somewhere along in that time frame. Now, I will tell you this, when you look at Luke chapter 2, is what we're going to be looking at, beginning with verse 8 today, that, that shepherds there in the Greek is masculine. So these, these were, in fact, men. But it's very, very possible and most likely that they were very young, right? We think of these bearded shepherds like JB, you know, not shepherd, but he got a good beard there, all right? And, and they've been at, these were probably younger than JB. <laughs> hey, it's happening, man. We're growing up, all right? And um, so that's, that's kind of the thing we're thinking of. They were, they were probably young men. They were, they were Jews. They were Bethlehem shepherds. Now, Bethlehem wasn't even a hop, skip, and a jump. It was more like a hop and a skip from from Jerusalem, all right? So what that means is by them being shepherds there, they were watching sheep, lambs that were going to be future sacrificial lambs in Jerusalem. They were ceremonially unclean just by the nature of their job. So they were not permitted ever, to be honest, to, to worship in the temple. They were poor. They were looked down upon by others. In short, moms and dads did not aspire for their children to grow up and be shepherds. It's just not what you wanted your kids to do. And these are our doors from Luke chapter 2. Let's read the story. This is, this is going to sound familiar. We read part of it last week as we looked at the angels, but we're going to continue on this week. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 beginning with verse 8. And it says this, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So we look to the shepherds and we look at their part in this account. The first thing that we see, last week we talked about the angels and we spent some time talking about the glory and and the scene that was put in that plain, in that field before the shepherds. And in verse 9, we get their reaction. And it says that the shepherds, when the angel showed up, were terribly frightened. And I'm sorry, that, does just not, that just doesn't cut it for me, all right? It's like, it's, like the, it's like the English butler properly describing a tornado coming and busting up a game of cricket, all right? Oh, the people were terribly frightened. Okay, that's more Australian, sorry. I think in English, you kind of leave the I and out. It's like frightened. They're terribly frightened, Okay. Sorry, that's as good as it's going to get, okay? I've watched a lot of Downton Abbey. It did not stick, okay? But that's not what's taking place here. Terribly frightened. Are you kidding me? It's like, give us a little something. Give me petrified any day of the week. Has anybody ever found a piece of petrified wood? All right. Did it ever talk to you? Move around the house? No. It sits there. It doesn't move. doesn't speak. doesn't do anything. These guys were petrified. They couldn't move, they couldn't speak, they couldn't think. Don't forget what happens when God's glory, we talked about that last week, Shekinah, shows up. And one of his powerful messengers show up at the same time. And they were petrified. But the angel was patient with them. He said, do not be afraid. Because guys, I'm paraphrasing here just a little bit. Guys, you need to hear this. I have a message that you need to hear. So right off the bat, these guys are just petrified. But the story doesn't end there. They received a message from the angel. This was the message. The Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. Keep in mind, when you hear The name Jesus Christ, it is not a first and a last name, all right? His name is Jesus. His title is Christ, the Messiah, all right? And they they hear this. They hear that the Messiah has been born. He's been wrapped in claws, and they're thinking, okay, that sounds about right. Okay, I can understand that. And And he's lying in a feed trough. I talked about this in a sermon a few months ago, and Bailey was like, I don't say that. I was like, Bailey, you say it all the time. And those of you who know, 
Bailey Hershey, you know what I'm talking about. Wait, what? <laughs> she says that all the time. My girls say it all the time now because they hear Bailey say it. Wait, what? Well, that's exactly what took place here. It's like the angels, I mean, the angels are speaking, the angel is speaking, the shepherds are hearing, and they're, they're petrified, but they're still hearing, and they hear Messiah born. Check. All right. Wrapped in cloths. Check. Lying in a manger in a feed trough. Wait, what? That doesn't quite sound right. But before they can question it, an army shows up saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And then before you can say, Come look at this, Paul, they're gone. All right? They're gone. It's over. And they're left thinking, Wait. Feed trough? Did you hear that? Was, did you hear that? What happens next? This story, I'll tell you what happens. The shepherds respond immediately. Immediately. Now, the gospel writer, Mark, he's the one who likes to use immediate. You will see that used a lot in his gospel. Luke sometimes, Mark all the time. So when Luke uses it here, we know that it is describing what took place. It says that these men, they said, they went straight to Bethlehem. And I like what Mark Moore puts in his commentary. He says, you know one of those shepherds had to stay back and watch those sheep. I mean, you couldn't just leave the sheep. So one unlucky shepherd, and maybe we'll talk about that one day. That would be a fun narrative to, to, to think about of the shepherd who got left behind to watch the sheep while the others went to see the newborn Christ. But they leave, I mean, let's go straight to Bethlehem. And then it says a little bit further along, it says, they, in, they came to Mary, they came to Joseph in a hurry. Maybe this is a little picture of why God chose the humble to be the ones to come and worship his son. Because there was no doubting, there was no debating, They were simply responding. Let's go now. And they went. But as they went, they retold the message that they had heard. The shepherds find everything just as they had been told they would. They go to find this new Messiah and they in fact find him newly born, wrapped in cloths, And lying in a feed trough. Now just for a moment, let's leave the shepherds and let's go to Mary and Joseph. Because interestingly, in our Adore sermon series, we're we're not focusing on Mary and Joseph. So we're going to talk about them just a little bit today. Let's think for a moment about this from the perspective of Joseph and Mary. Jesus has just been born. I'll tell you what, I I am... Justin, you can probably relate to this, okay? Because you as well are married to an OB nurse, Okay? All right, I'm married to an OB nurse myself, right there. All right, can you not watch anything in the movie or on a TV show that has to do with a baby being born? You can't, because Donald, it's like, that is not a newborn. That's like a two-month-old baby. Come on now. I mean, good grief. And trust me, moms do not act or look like that after the baby's been born. I mean, it's just get the finger out, you know? This is not... This is not right. It is not real. I mean, because it's not like, it's not like that belly just, poof, it's gone. I mean, like five minutes after the baby's born, poof, belly's gone. All right? And I knew none of this until Donna had babies. And we just had two girls. And, okay, and I'm trying to tell Donna, I was like, Donna, I've been there, okay? 
people don't want to know exactly what it's like in the movies or the TV shows, all right? They do not, okay? So let's think about Mary and Joseph. Jesus, he is a newborn, brand new baby. They are in, now you can debate it all you want. They're in a cave, they're in a stable, they're in the lower part of a house. I don't know. A lot of people have a lot of different explanations for that, but we do know this. They were in a place where there was livestock, okay? So already things are a little weird. Mary is not feeling great, I'm guessing, okay? And who shows up to worship her son? Shepherds. And I know what Joseph and Mary are thinking. Why are you here? <laughs> How do you even know what's going on? How are you? And guess what? The shepherds, they tell their story. And they tell their story to an audience ready to believe it. I mean, we're talking Mary and Joseph here. They have seen the unlikely. They have seen the miraculous They have been visited, Mary specifically, by angels. The writing of this account makes it very clear, though, that Mary and Joseph were not the only ones the shepherds retold their message to. You see, the shepherds have to find... Now, Bethlehem was a very small village, but they have to find Jesus. And it says in the scripture that everyone they told their story to wondered about what was taking place here. The shepherds did not keep their mouths shut. They talked. And I promise you, after they left Mary and Joseph and the new Messiah, Jesus, they continued to talk. It says the shepherds praised God for what they heard and what they saw. You see, because what they heard was backed up by what they saw. The angel told them what they would find, and guess what? That's what they found. The new Messiah wrapped in cloths, lying in what? A feed trough. And they told everyone. God always backs up his message, backs up his promises with reality. Have you ever wondered about the rest of the shepherd's story? I mean, what happens next? Do they just go back out to the field? Do they keep this to themselves? I doubt it. I imagine they told that story till the day they died, and I'd be willing to bet their kids and their grandkids continue to tell the story after that. I mean, after all, how many shepherds had quite possibly Gabriel shown up to, along with God's army, to announce the birth of the Messiah? You guys remember the, the old movie, the, the Greatest Christmas Pageant Ever? Does anybody remember that? I'm seeing a lot of puzzled looks. We got a few. Any, got a few of you? I mean, before Home Alone and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, there was the Christmas pageant. The greatest Christmas pageant ever told. And I will tell you, Now, I like Home Alone, 
and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, I'm, I kind of like it too. But it's nothing compared to the greatest Christmas pageant ever. And if you remember, you remember that What's-Her-Face from MASH played the lady who, who set up Major Houlihan. Uh-huh. Okay, now is it coming back to you? All right. And it's about her trying to organize and get this Christmas pageant all put together. And the church that she works at, this, this would not be too politically correct these days, okay? The church that she works at is in a, in a really rough part of town. And she has a bunch of rough kids that she's trying to do this Christmas pageant with. And if you remember, one of the wise men showed up with a ham, Christmas ham. Tavon Dillard would love it. Shows up with a Christmas ham. To give to the baby Jesus. The greatest Christmas pageant ever. It's, an, it's a great, great story. It's, it's a heartwarming one too. I imagine if I watched it these days, I'd be like, I don't remember it this way back when I was seven years old. If we were to do our own Christmas pageant, if, if we were to do our own Christmas story, and I'm not talking about the one that happened the actual nativity, and presenting that. I'm talking about planning the actual nativity. I mean, we're in the throne room of heaven planning it out. And I wonder if we were in that planning session, how many of us would have included the shepherds? When it came to the totem pole of society. These guys were down here. And you have over on this side the king of kings. Would we really have chosen the shepherds to come worship the king of kings? The thing that we have to keep in mind, and I don't know if the people who played their roles in the nativity understood completely. But it was the truth. There there was none in that place of the manger that was worthy to be there. Not one. Not Mary. Not Joseph, not an innkeeper, no one. Because this was God that was born. God incarnate. He was man and he was God. And none were worthy to be there. And yet, God chose the outcasts to be there. Why? Why did God choose the shepherds? God could have gone to the priests. God, that angel could have gone to the hierarchy. That angel could have gone to so many places and brought so many people there to worship Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And they went to the field And they got the shepherds, the ceremonially unclean, 
poor. The ones that mom and dad said, when you grow up, don't be like them. Why did God choose the shepherds? I don't know. Maybe we should focus on what we do know. The shepherds heard the message. The shepherds responded immediately. And the shepherds were not afraid to tell their story to anyone who would listen. Seems like to me that God chose pretty well. What can we learn from? And we don't know how many there were. We don't. Be honest with you, we don't even know how many kings there were. Magi, we'll talk about that next week. All right? We say, well, there were three. The Bible says it. No, the Bible says there were three gifts that they brought. It does not say how many there were. These shepherds had their lives changed by God. They heard a message, they responded to that message, and then they spoke what God had done to them and for them to everyone who would listen. Does that sound familiar to anybody? God changes a life. He puts a call out. And people respond to that call. And then people talk about how their life has changed. When I look at the nativity, some of those that I most admire are the shepherds. Because of their humble obedience. And because of their willingness to tell a story to anybody who would listen. A story that, got to be honest with you, not very believable. Who showed up while you were watching the sheep? You found who in a feed trough? And you're telling me he's the savior of the world? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Go back to the sheep, buddy. You know what God chose when he chose the shepherds? The humble. And God still calls to the humble today. And it's the humble that respond to the message. And it's the humble that tell people and tell others without, without regret how God has changed their lives.